Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. This is Volume 12, Issue Number 42, which corresponds with the week of October 3rd, 2022. Let's get started with free thoughts. So I learned something new about constant contact reality, the medium that uh, sends out, I send out the newsletter through. I've been hearing from readers that they got kicked off of the Monday morning mailing list for no reason. It turns out that a lot of folks have forwarded these emails to friends and family. If one of those folks clicked on the unsubscribe link after receiving it, it actually unsubscribes the first person that forwarded the newsletter. According to the constant contact, there is no way to fix this problem. If you find that the newsletter stops coming in the written form, just resubscribe. Sorry for the headaches, folks, but constant contact is what they are. There's a quote from the new Billy the Kid series where a gentleman says, I don't know, Billy. Sometimes I think courage is just the honesty to recognize your own weakness and then do something about it. For me, that's such a true statement. When I pondered upon it, you know, for me, it was you really need to look inside and be honest with yourself. And that is the first and most important step to being the most and more authentic version of yourself and to improve in way that feeds your personal desires in life. So, you know, look at that which is in your side, you, that you're not, you know, taking stock in your weaknesses and be honest with them, recognize them and work towards bettering them. Let's move on to the actual issue this week. So we have literature review and we have a discussion on resistant starch and then some really interesting data on vaccines. In the literature review, we find the first article looking at a new sweetener. It is natural and less toxic to your body. It is otherwise known as allulose, A-L-L-U-L-O-S-E. It is an enantiomer of fructose, which means sort of a mirror image, and is much less sweet to taste and does not spike blood glucose or insulin levels. In the British Medical Journal, we find, quote, this is the largest study assessing the effects of D-allulose in Westerners, demonstrating an early dose-dependent reduction in plasma glucose and insulin levels, as well as decreased postprandial glucose and insulin excursion in subjects without diabetes mellitus. These pilot observations set the basis for large-scale investigations to support the anti-diabetes mellitus effects of D-allulose. End quote. This comes to us from Frankie, F-R-A-N-C-H-I et al. in 2021. D-allulose is a monosaccharide with about 70% the sweetness of typical table sugar or sucrose, which is 50% glucose and 50% fructose, which is the sweet part. The great news is that it does not trigger uric acid formation or metabolic derangements like its cousin, fructose. This is a possible new addition to your pantry. We will follow it over the coming decade as the data emerges, but you can bake with this stuff. Apparently, it tastes quite good. My wife has used it some, and I have not noticed a big difference. But if it does not spike your glucose or insulin levels, that is a very, very positive outcome for metabolic health over time. Number two, diets with a lot of plant material slow cognitive decline as people age past 65 years, according to the European study. 842 people from France were followed for 12 years. The fascinating part of the study is that the participants had their blood levels analyzed for metabolites of the food type and how the body used them in association with cognitive decline over the study period. 
The data noted a protective association from the metabolites derived from cocoa, coffee, mushrooms, and red wine, as well as the microbial metabolism of the polyphenol-rich fibers from apples, cocoa, green tea, blueberries, oranges, and pomegranates, and cognitive decline in the study population. This comes to us from Gonzalez Dominguez et al. 2022. These types of analyses are going to start to paint the picture that we have been looking for. Certain food types are used by the body and the microbes within to produce chemicals that have effects of neurologic cellular activity. When the foods are fiber-based and full of polyphenolic compounds, the metabolites are neuron-sparing and longevity-associated. And that is what we all want, right? To live long and without disease. Number three, kids that play sports are more likely to have grit and determination according to a new study from The Ohio State University. Grit is defined as the combination of passion and perseverance that helps people achieve their long-term goals. Sport offers a robust failure and bounce-back platform week to week. The old win-some-and-you-lose-some mentality drives many to dig deeper week after week to achieve. That reality becomes ingrained in many children as they move into school and career choices. It is not surprising to me that sport is a net positive for grit in life. Grit has always been the determining factor in high-quality employee for our practice. Those employees that have grit succeed over time because their work over the long haul is more what is in line with what the practice and the managers would prefer to have. Grit succeeds where those without does not. Sport, on the other hand, also offers these benefits. A team understanding, which equates to reducing the I and increasing the us, which is great for a work environment. It also increases your movement, which is a massive net positive for cellular metabolism and mood. And it helps you become a learner from a coach-type mentor if you're willing to listen. And listening is key in life. And it also gives a child a sense of belonging and an adult a sense of belonging. Many of my life experiences were the happiest on the soccer field and then afterwards with buddies that I played with. Those are sort of like your own fraternity or sorority of friends, right? That's not associated with partying, but associated with just general enjoyment together and a team atmosphere and winning is great. Losing is never fun, but it's the experience that really makes the biggest difference, the be together in team. There's a quote, in fact, we found that playing organized sport continually led to higher levels of adults' grit than never playing a sport at all. However, respondents who participated in organized youth sport but dropped out, a potentially meaningful turning point, actually demonstrated lower levels of grit after accounting for perceptions of athletic experiences on work ethic, suggesting that a deterioration of grit could be a consequence of quitting an activity such as an organized sport. Quitting an activity could be a turning point that reinforces a lack of perseverance, and perseverance is crucial to grit. This piece comes to us from Nothnagel, N-O-T-H-N-A-G-L-E, et al., 2022. For me, the last piece is key. To quit anything in general sends a strong signal to self. I can't make it. I'm not good enough. Carol Dweck's work here is crucial. We don't worry about the failure. It is the process that is the key, the grit. Teach your kids grit. 
Do not allow them to quit mid-sport, mid-club, mid-anything. If they start, they should finish the season, the cycle, whatever it is. Can't speak highly enough to how important that reality is to a child's psyche. Number four, what happens to emotion and cognition when toddlers meet American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines? Two-year-olds that consumed at least five servings of fruit and vegetables were physically active, refrained from sugar-sweetened beverages, and limited screen time to less than 60 minutes each day are said to be at guideline. Toddlers meeting the screen time guideline had greater executive function, inhibitory self-control, and emergent metacognition. Those with more minutes of screen time had poorer overall executive function, inhibitory self-control, cognitive flexibility, emergent metacognition. Being physically active every day was associated with greater emergent metacognition. This comes to us from McMath et al. 2022. For me, there's a bit of a chicken and egg in this because those that are predisposed to want to watch more screen time tend to have more attention deficit problems and other behavioral issues. So it could be that the screen time is actually a proxy for the underlying behavioral problem, but I suspect it's a combination of both because I think it's very easy for anybody to default pathway into just sitting and watching screens and not being physically active, which would have a downstream effect likely on executive function, inhibitory self-control, and emergent metacognition. So it's probably a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. Either way, it's not good. That's a simple takeaway. Number five, fruit and vegetable intake is inversely associated with severity of inattention in a pediatric population with ADHD symptoms. The Maddie study. This comes to us from Robinette et al., 2022. Sort of straightforward here. Don't need to say any more. Number six, sexually transmitted diseases are on the rise. Mycoplasma genitalum is an organism that is the smallest prokaryote capable of independent replication. It causes acute and chronic non-gonococcal urethritis in men and cervicitis and pelvic inflammatory disease in women. Most people infected remain asymptomatic and clear the infected organism without developing disease, making baseline screening useless in the absence of symptoms of burning with urination. Overtreating asymptomatic carriage has resulted in antimicrobial resistance and the risk of an untreatable future for resistant strains. This comes to us from Nanandurai et al. 2022, G-N-A-N-A-D-U-R-A-I. The simple answer here is the hard one. Avoid the risk in the first place. Treat those with organism present and symptoms, not the other way around. Number seven, more on STDs. The 2022, excuse me, the 2020 STD surveillance report noted Gonorrhea and primary syphilis were up 10 and 7% respectively compared to the prior year. Syphilis among newborns, otherwise known as congenital syphilis, also increased with reported cases up nearly 15% from the year before. And 235%, a daunting number, from 2016. Early data indicate primary and secondary syphilis and congenital syphilis can Cases are continuing to increase in 2020, excuse me, in 2021 as well. These stats don't bode well for newborns born to infected mothers or men and women that could lose fertility over time from an untreated or unknown infection. You can add this to the risk of sexual endocrine fertility failure from chemical exposure and other things, and we are heading in the wrong direction for a healthy population that can procreate. 
All right, let's move on to resistant starch. Prebiotics are carbohydrates that are, non, uh, that are not digestible by humans and that reach the colon intact and thus feed our colonic bacteria, otherwise known as our gut microbiome. Prebiotics are generally classified into three different types. Non-starch polysaccharides, such as fructooligosaccharides and inulin. Soluble fiber, such as oats, psyllium, husk, hemp, and chia, and legume fibers, and then resistant starch. Each of these prebiotics feeds a different species of bacteria, making the diversity very important. Resistant starches, when consumed, do not spike either blood glucose or insulin after consumption have no major effect on weight. This makes them a great addition to the diet. They feed our microbiome, but not us, since we are not in the calorie deprivation environment. Resistant starch, they are chemically interesting as the difference between them and other starches is that the starch carbon chain of resistant starch is straight and not branched, leaving less digestible surface for amylase to act on. Heating and cooling adds a new layer to it as well. There are five types of resistant starch. I'm going to discuss only type three, retrograde resistant starch foods. This group of starches has the ability to change conformation through temperature shifts and therefore become indigestible to our metabolic system after they're heated and cooled. The more they're heated and then cooled, the more resistant starch is formed. I think of a blacksmith making a sword. The iron is heated, hammered, and cooled. Repeating the process hardens the metal in increasing degrees of strength. The same appears to be true with the starch of potatoes, rice, and soaked legumes. From the health perspective, giving these resistant starch foods to kids will feed the gut bacteria that need to be fed, and then those gut bacteria will increase the release of short-chain fatty acids like butyrate that feed our intestinal cells known as enterocytes. This is critical to human health. I love Bob's Red Mill, unmodified potato food starch. Start with a quarter to one teaspoon daily and work your way up to a tablespoon daily. Some people experience GI upset and need to take it slow and steady in the beginning until they write their gut ship. Add it to smoothies or any dish that is less than 130 degrees Fahrenheit, lest you change the conformation of the resistant starch. Also consider other starchy foods like unripened bananas, plantains, yams, and yucca for your resistant starch. Keep up the charge of changing your child's health and life outcome via food and love. I love this stuff. It's really interesting how we can take care of ourselves in better ways naturally. From a recent study in cancer prevention research, we note that resistant starch is fermented by multiple human colonic bacteria, including members of the Ruminococcae lacnospirisae, Erysipelot rickiaceae, ooh, that's a tough one, and Clostridiaceae families that are butyrate producers and involve synergy between primary resistant starch degraders and secondary starch scavengers. Butyrate suppresses cancer cell proliferation and may enhance apoptosis. Antineoplastic effects may be mediated via microbial modulation of immune homeostasis. This was demonstrated in experimental studies showing differential stimulation of toll-like receptors and attenuation of pro-inflammatory cytokines and dendritic cells. This comes to us from Mathers et al. in 2022. And what it basically says to us is when we consume these resistant starches, we have different types of bacteria that are breaking them down into different kinds of short-chain fatty acids, which are involved in immune function, specifically having effects on suppressing cancer cell proliferation, as well as when we kill our own cells called apoptosis, both of which are beneficial in the long run to human health.
All right, part three, vaccine controversy, as if we need it anymore. But the science is what we need, and we need to follow it. So controversy is about to begin again based on a new study looking at the aluminum adjuvant in some vaccines and the asthma risk in children that receive them. The vaccines that contain aluminum adjuvants are diphtheria, tetanus-containing vaccines, haemophilus influenza type B, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and pneumococcal vaccines. But the age of two years old, children will receive 13 vaccines dosed with aluminum based on the ACIP schedule. From the study, the results noted the cohort comprised of 326,991 children, among whom 14,303, excuse me, 14,337, or 4.4%, had eczema. For children without eczema, vaccine-associated aluminum exposure was 3.98 milligrams. Those with eczema received 4.07 milligrams of aluminum, respectively. Among children with and without eczema, 6% and 2.1%, respectively, develop persistent asthma. Among children with eczema, vaccine-associated aluminum was positively associated with persistent asthma. A positive association was also detected among children without eczema. Conclusion, in this large observational study, a positive association was found between vaccine-related aluminum exposure and persistent asthma. While recognizing the small effect size is identified and the potential for residual compounding, additional investigation of this hypothesis appears warranted. This comes to us from Daily et al., 2022. Thus, if a plausible mechanism of allergy induction is found, we need to take these issues seriously and look for alternative adjuvants to induce an immune response for these vaccines. To stop vaccinating, in my mind, would be a nightmare of disease and death for this same age group. That would be unconscionable. The theoretical mechanism that could be in play here is aluminum-induced neoantigen formation in skin or lung tissue leading to Th2 immune response that we see as eczema or asthma. I personally will be following this data very carefully over the coming years. We must look into this and chase the data to the deepest point for truth and safety for every child. Kudos to the authors for publishing. But for me, this is absolutely does not change my belief that we should vaccine against these diseases. The counter-argument would be to re-enter an era with rampant polio measles, haemophilus, and pneumococcus. The devastation that would follow for children and their health is unthinkable. To that end, I also have seen a large volume of children not vaccinated have these atopic diseases. I remain, pending more data, locked into the belief that maternal health and early childhood health via high-quality food, chemical avoidance, stress reduction, and general wellness principles remain the best path forward. Let us keep reading and learning as the data emerges. This week's recipe is roasted garlic and Parmesan-baked halibut. The link is in the newsletter. It's very, very good. To me, the only thing I'd probably change is drop the mayonnaise, not necessary in it, place a fish on a wrap of your choice, add some broccoli sprouts, little carrot strings for crunch and sweetness. It's a very lively combo and very, very tasty. This week's song of the week is Crazy by Aerosmith. All right, folks, as always, fabulous day. Hug those kids and enjoy being alive. And now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. 
and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.